everyone. Just a content warning at the top of the show. In this episode, we will be discussing intimate partner and gender-based violence. Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Just getting back to life after our family trip to the Smokies, which was yeah. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend Great Smoky Mountain National Park if anybody is looking for a nice, nature-filled getaway with family. It was it was a really great place to visit. Were there some good fall leaves while you were there? Or was it too early? You know, actually, they've been in a drought. And so what I didn't realize is that when there's not enough rain, leaves just stay green until they die and fall off. And oh, so there has sad. to be a lot of rain to get good color. And when we got into higher elevations in the park, yes, there was some pretty like yellows and golds, but pretty much you had to be up in the mountains to see any of that. The rest of it was just still kind of green and, you know, hot. It's still, still pretty warm. Yeah, (laughs) it is. We had some cool nights, which was nice, but for the most part, I wouldn't say we really got the fall we were looking for. Oh, that's too bad. Well, yeah. I missed your online presence. I know you were kind of taking a digital break, so I'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. you're back. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm glad to be back. How have you been? So you missed most of my woe around contracting hand, foot, and mouth disease mm-hmm. <laughs> as so an adult, <laughs> which felt like the flu, just more disgusting. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. I'm back to full health and... Got my flu shot last week, so I'm I'm hoping that maybe I got the worst of things at the beginning of the season, and we'll be uh, healthy for the rest. So fingers crossed. Life with our little germ carrying kids. I know, <laughs> I know, it's so true. So a couple of things before we get started today. Um, a reminder: we are on Spotify, thanks to Ashley. Yes. So if you want to listen to us there, go check it out. We'd love for you to subscribe. And we're planning our next listener request episode, which we will record in December. So if you have a burning question or an idea or a complaint <laughs> you want to send us, <laughs> you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com, or you can sign up to become a patron. We'll talk about that in a sec, where you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook, Facebook group where we get to interact with us and other listeners. And that's where a lot of our show ideas come from. So mm-hmm. to do that, go over to patreon.com slash kindreds to support us today. All right. Today we are going to talk about something very serious. We're going to talk about gender-based violence. And Ashley, why is that something we want to talk about? It's not something we've talked about too much on this show before. So why now? Right. I guess that's what happened. We realized that we've never talked about gender-based violence explicitly on the show before. We have mentioned it in a couple other episodes, but because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we thought now would be a good time to do an entire show dedicated to this very important issue. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with defining gender-based violence. Now, Katie, you've got a couple good definitions that you found. Yeah. It seems like the kind of thing that we should just instinctively know what it is, but it was actually Mm -hmm. really helpful to read a couple of different definitions. So I'm going to offer two that I found, and I actually modified the first one a little bit to make it more inclusive. So this one's from Women for Women International, 
And they say gender-based violence, or GBV, is violence that is directed at an individual based on their biological sex or gender identity. It includes physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse. And I would add spiritual abuse to that list as well. Definitely. Threats, coercion, and economic or educational deprivation, whether occurring in public or private life. And I think that's a really good comprehensive one. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this other definition from the United Nations. They say sexual and gender-based violence refers to any act that is perpetrated against a person's will and is based on gender norms and unequal power relationships. And I think the unequal power relationships piece is really important. Mm -hmm. And gender-based violence can take lots of different forms, some that we might think of and others we might not. So there's sexual assault, there's physical violence, verbal threats and insults. There's also reproductive coercion um, Mm -hmm. where someone is interfering with a birth control method or an abortion or a forced pregnancy. There's stalking. There's financial control of not allowing someone to access banks or credit Mm -hmm. or accounts. And there's also social control, not allowing people to, to be in touch with their friends or their family or their community. I think that's a really important point is that gender-based violence exists. It's a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And we the things that we sometimes think about the the physical aspects of it are just one part and so the picture is a lot bigger than that and one thing i wanted to point out is that um although domestic violence and intimate partner violence is often conflated with gender-based violence it's not quite the same thing intimate partner violence fits within the scope of gender-based violence But it's got the distinction that the abuse is perpetrated by a current or former partner or spouse. This type of violence can occur among heterosexual couples, same-sex couples, and does not require necessarily sexual intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is really important to understand that gender-based violence affects people of every gender identity, not just cisgender women, and in every kind of relationship, not just heterosexual ones. There is a CDC study... We're going to link all of this stuff in the show notes. Anytime we reference a study or data, we'll link where we got that in the show notes. But there's a CDC study that shows that rates of intimate partner violence are actually higher for lesbian and bisexual women than heterosexual ones. And nearly half of all transgender people are sexually assaulted. So those are some just important statistics to keep in mind when we're talking about this. Gender-based violence also affects young people, and I think that's something that's really overlooked. Mm-hmm. Folks that do sex education and, and work with teens, like this is something that we talk about a lot, that teen dating violence is often a predictor of future intimate partner violence down the road. And the things that teenagers, like the things that happen in relationships with teenagers as they're learning about relationships, the, the dynamics and the... Um, kind of activities that happen between teens, like those, those things can start patterns that can go on for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so nearly 60% of survivors say that they experienced abuse for the first time before the age of 25. And something else to consider is that people of color are at an even higher risk for gender-based violence than their white counterparts. There is a 2008 CDC study that shows that 39% of Native women who were surveyed identified as victims of intimate partner violence in their lifetime, which is a rate that is higher than any other race or ethnicity surveyed, and almost, I think it's like double um, white women. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, 80% of rapes that are reported to law enforcement 
are reported by white women. So there's a disparity there in rates of assault that are experienced versus reported. Yeah. And isn't it something like only one or 2% of all rapes are reported? So if you think about Mm -hmm. how often these are sexual assaults happening and not being reported Mm -hmm. to law enforcement, it's just kind of staggering just to think about how often this is happening to people. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about what it's like for survivors to come forward with their abuse. Yeah, I mean, I think in the worst kinds of circumstances, and this is why I think a lot of people don't come forward, is that Mm -hmm. there's the fear of a reality that people's stories are not believed. People Mm -hmm. are not believed when they come forward, or people are blamed somehow for the abuse that's happened to them. Like, why didn't you leave that relationship Mm -hmm. or... Why were you drinking that night? Why were you wearing that? Um, or if if you were a child when it happened and you're coming forward as an adult, how do you know if you're remembering it correctly uh, if this happened mm-hmm. to you so long ago? So I think the fear and the reality of that keep a lot of people um, and the shame and stigma yeah. attached with, yeah. with being a survivor um, definitely impacts people coming forward with their stories. But I do feel sort of hopeful about the surge in storytelling around sexual abuse that has at the very least maybe made the reality irrefutable that this mm-hmm. happens because there's this entire community of survivors talking about what happened to them and sometimes about the exact same person. So it just the the data alone and just seeing people coming forward and talking about the spectrum of violence and how it impacts their lives, I think has made it maybe not easier, but at least less isolating to talk mm-hmm. about um, abuse that's happened in the past. But there are also lots of consequences to telling the truth. Um, for example, I know someone who has been sued by her abuser um, for telling the truth mm. about what happened to her. And I also was just thinking about, because um, I think the anniversary of this was was recent, mm-hmm. Dr. Christine Ford talking about what happened to her in the Kavanaugh hearings and how she had to hire, you know, security people to, to protect and she had her to move. family. And move, right? Like, so yeah. the cost of telling the truth can be exceptionally high. I mean, that's maybe at the highest level, but... Sometimes we lose people in our lives or we lose community for telling the truth because we don't know how to deal with the truth of people's pain or deal with the fact that um, we've got people in our midst who have committed these kinds of crimes um, and use their power to harm people in our lives. Like, how do we reconcile that? We just aren't very good at it and we haven't had much practice. Mm hmm. You know, you mentioned the uh, anniversary of the Kavanaugh hearings, and I kind of can't believe that was just a year ago. No, it it feels feels, like yesterday. Yeah. And there was a a lot of talk around Dr. Ford when she came forward. Like, why didn't she come forward with this years ago? Why did why did she wait so long to report this? Mm -hmm. It must not have been that bad. Right. The president, the president tweeted that, well, if she waited so long to report, the assault must not have been that bad. And um, I want to say it was Ashley Judd that responded to that tweet by saying, the first time I was assaulted, I was seven, and the adults I told told me I was making it up or something like that. And so the next time it happened to me when I was 15, I didn't tell anybody. Right. The reasons that people wait to come forward aren't the reasons that people think, you know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that it must not have been that bad or that it's politically motivated in the case of Dr. Ford, that the only reason she came forward was politically motivated. And um, in the wake of the anniversary of the hearings, New York Magazine did a series of articles uh, last month about the aftermath of Me Too. 
and what it's been like for the people a year ago who spoke out against their perpetrators. And we'll link to both of those articles in the show notes. There's one called The Toll of Me Too, uh, written by Rebecca Tracer, and another article called Was It Worth It? It was real. This article was really fascinating. It features survivors talking in their own words about what it was like after they came forward with their experiences against their employers or their coworkers or acquaintances. And um, it's also, I mean, it's a painful article to read as well. But if you want a, a good picture of what it is really like for people after they come forward, some of these folks lost their jobs. Some of them ended up in very expensive legal battles where their perpetrators got off with light sentences after everything. They ended up ostracized from their workplaces. And survivors have to weigh all of these possible negative outcomes and consequences when they decide to come forward in a public way because the personal risks are just so great. There's like the reliving of the trauma of having yes. to tell your story over and over again and relive yes. it. Um, so that's an additional cost, even if the outcome is maybe what you hope for, there's still the re-traumatization of having to relive and recount details and be questioned that um, that alone is enough to make you not want to talk about your story. So the idea that survivors of assault are just coming forward because they want the attention is just a stereotype that I really don't ever want to hear again. Like the the thought that women would come forward for money or attention or fame it's just ludicrous because of all of the negative consequences that, that they have to deal with and everything that you just mentioned about the re-traumatization when you actually tell that story. And then what do you do about your identity being solely based around right. this terrible thing that happened to you? Right. People want to be more than the worst thing they've lived through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we think about why it takes people so long to come forward, we need to really have an attitude of compassion for what what that is and what that takes. Um, Absolutely. And another thing people ask is, why wasn't it reported to law enforcement? If this happened, why didn't they go to the police? And I found this really good article in Allure magazine earlier this spring called What Happens When Reporting Sexual Assault to Law Enforcement that goes into detail about the steps that survivors can take, like what to expect during a sexual assault forensic exam, which is also commonly known as a rape kit, how to file a police report, what legal proceedings can be like, how much all of that can cost you. This information isn't very well known or understood. People think it's easy. Just go to the police, you know, <laughs> but just go to the hospital. Yeah, just go to the hospital. And what uh, what you don't realize is how involved um, a sexual assault forensics exam actually is. And last season, I might be one of the last people on the planet that still watches Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> anytime Shonda I mention, <laughs> yeah, anytime I mention Grey's Anatomy, people are like, "That's still on." <laughs> That's exactly what I said in prep for this recording yeah yes it is 16 seasons strong and it has its ups and downs but the last couple seasons have been great and last season they actually did a, a pretty significant um storyline around sexual assault and me too and they did a whole episode around a a woman who came in and needed a sexual assault forensic exam and so they did the rape kit and I before I saw that episode I had no idea what all was involved that it actually mm -hmm. involves taking pictures of every inch of the person's body keeping and documenting and tagging all of their clothing 
getting out from under their fingernails. You're collecting samples of hair. I mean, it is, it's, it's a hours long process that involves specially trained staff people that not every hospital even has on staff. And so it's not just that reporting a sexual assault is not just as easy as like go to the hospital or yeah. go to it's the It's like police. your body becomes the crime scene and is treated like an object, which is, is a good way exactly what just happened to you. Yeah, exactly. So, mm, that's awful. Um, so I think we've made it clear that this is complicated and mm-hmm. that our knee jerk responses are based in patriarchy <laughs> and are problematic. Right. And so we've got to figure out a better way to respond. So speaking of that, how do you feel like faith communities and churches have responded to gender-based violence? What have you seen? I think we have quite a ways to go. I, I think her. <laughs> <laughs> I something that I didn't realize until fairly recently is that not all clergy are trained in best practices in responding to instances of gender-based violence or intimate partner violence that happens in their congregations. Some clergy have additional training in social work or counseling, but that's not really the norm. And in some traditions or churches, clergy might even give problematic advice or dangerous advice, including telling victims to stay with their abusers and using scripture to um, encourage partners to uphold their vows or, you know, honor your father and mother and and really using scripture to bully people into um, staying in dangerous patterns and circumstances. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. And I was thinking about my own training and exposure to this in seminary. Um, I did take a pastoral care class that was voluntary where the instructor was someone who had worked extensively in this area. So I was fortunate in that she made it one of the topics that we, that we Mm. dove into and, and practiced how we would talk to someone if they were to come to us, but that was not a requirement. The mm. only thing that I had to do was go to a one-day clergy misconduct seminar that was taught by an outside facilitator. And the training itself, it wasn't bad, but it was treated as this really not very serious thing that we just sort of had Mm. to do on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it was so separate from the rest of our coursework, like that the topic was not integrated into the way that we, that we thought about our theology or the way we talked about the Bible, which is full of gender-based violence or ethics or anything else. So it just felt like this thing that we had to do to check off a box. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was super heteronormative and really focused more on what clergy clergy should do to protect themselves. It Mm. wasn't about how to cope with someone coming to you and talking about a situation they were in. So I would just say in general, um, not unlike law school, from what I've heard from lawyers, seminary didn't prepare me to deal with the complexities of real people's lives. It didn't give me that that practice that I needed to really talk to people um, before I was out in the real world. And yeah. I imagine the same is true of other seminaries and divinity schools and for other clergy and pastors that until someone comes in a crisis, it might not be something they've ever personally had to deal with. And I think going into it without the proper training or resources is just you're set up to not do a good job and to maybe even yep. push that person away from seeing you yep. as a safe person. They could talk to you for the very reasons you cited of 
giving them problematic advice that's rooted in bad biblical interpretation, like stay, stay with your abuser. It's your fault. Um, so I agree with you that we could do a lot, lot better. Mm -hmm. At the very least, knowing what resources exist in your community that you can refer somebody to understanding your limitations as a spiritual counselor, like Mm -hmm. knowing what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Instead of, because I don't think, you know, nobody wants to do harm on purpose, but when you um, are in a position where folks are coming to you for advice and guidance, um, I think it's really important to know what you don't know mm-hmm. and be able to refer people out to to folks that know more than you and can provide more support. Um, I think, especially when it comes to survivors coming forward with stories of abuse against like church leaders, our churches yeah. can absolutely do better. I was horrified last year by the story of Jules Woodson and Andy Savage. Do you remember that? Yes. That very, very clearly. For folks that don't know, um, Jules Woodson was a teenager when Andy Savage was her youth pastor about 20 years ago. And she was 17 when he sexually assaulted her. And at the time that it happened, she came forward to church leaders who basically blamed her for, quote, participating in it. And she was victimized all over again by the adults in charge. And he was never held accountable. And they were basically they were forbidden to speak to each other again. And that that was that. And um, during Me Too, she was triggered by everything that was going on. And she wrote him an email that just said, do you remember what you did to me? And Instead of responding to the email, he went up in front of his the new church where he is now and um, confessed his, like, past sexual impropriety. But he didn't say, like, I was a predator uh, of a 17-year-old girl when I was 20 years old, 22 years old. And what he just made it sound like he had some sexual indiscretion in his past. And so his congregation gave him a standing ovation. And there was a video of it that went online. And it wasn't until folks started pointing out the video and how horrifying it was and that she came forward and said, that's actually not what happened. Let me tell you the whole story. And that was when he was finally held accountable. And he resigned, yeah. And yeah, he resigned and... I think churches are starting to take more seriously allegations of sexual abuse and assault that happen among their leadership, um, not to mention what goes on in the Catholic Church um, Ugh, and what's yeah. come out there. I have I a think- related story to that. Mm. Um, there was a, a professor, a former professor of the Divinity School. I attended Yale Divinity School who had been – who actually had been removed from, um, from being a Catholic priest for abusing boys and – we found there was a story in the New York Times. Gosh, the Times has done an amazing job of lifting up some of these survivors of, of abuse that happens within church communities. But um, my reaction to it was, why didn't the Divinity School know about this? Mm-hmm. And what are they planning to do, even if they didn't know? Now, what is your response going to be now that you know that this happened? Because mm-hmm. I feel like the impulse is so framed around legality and making sure like we didn't know about this and um you know we're horrified but like we didn't know rather than saying we didn't know we should have known and this is how we're going to respond moving forward and a group of students um actually organized i helped organize a group of us to say we're not going to donate to your annual campaign 
until you tell us what you're going to do with this information. Um, And it actually put the kind of pressure required for them to give a much more robust, proactive response. But I like, I hate that. (laughs) I hate that in every occasion that is required, the energy required to organize students and get them to put their name on something public just to hold our institutions accountable when it should be the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe, maybe we're starting the groundwork necessary for that to be the next kind of response. I I hope so. I really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This era of just like moving a church leader to a new church and quietly trying to sweep it under the rug, like that's got to come to an end. We've got to actually start to hold perpetrators accountable and have some form of justice that honors what happened, the seriousness of what happened, and that maybe doesn't always involve law enforcement right. and going to the police with it. Um, putting people in prison isn't always the answer. Uh, that can often result in further trauma and harm. That's right. So, That's right. We have yeah, a lot just, of work to do. We really do. So where can we get resources and training for this? Yeah. I mean, luckily, people have been doing this work for a long time, mm-hmm. and we don't have to start from scratch. So if this, we'll talk about what you can get for you personally, but also for your congregation or community. I wanted to lift up the Faith Trust Institute, yeah, um, started by Marie Fortune, who's amazing and also a Yale Divinity School grad. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, oh, she cool. started Faith Trust in 1977, and they work primarily with faith communities around abuse. They offer consulting and training, and they also have a number of free webinars that you can watch on their website. Yeah. The Faith Trust Institute has come up in my work as well. I was really excited when I saw you put this in the outline. Um, The United Methodist Church in Mississippi did something interesting with Faith Trust a few years ago. They sent their heads of um, United Methodist men and United Methodist women both to a training on um, domestic violence and with the intention of to come back to Mississippi and start a task force on domestic violence for the the. Mississippi Methodist Conference. And I thought it was really cool that they didn't just make it a women's issue because that's what happens with intimate partner violence so often is it's like, oh, it's a women's issue and men don't need to be involved. And and so the fact that they sent both the head of UM men and UM women to this training, I thought was a really kind of cool, progressive way of approaching it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Related to that, there's an organization I've liked for a long time. You might have heard of called Men Men Can Stop Rape. Mm -hmm. And they're committed to promoting healthy masculinity, which is something we've talked about before before, around toxic masculinity. So they're promoting healthy masculinity and they do that at an individual level, but all the way through to society. Like they, they see their impact at every level and they're actually doing a summit around healthy masculinity in October in Washington, D.C. So check them out. They're a great organization. And we also wanted to end, if you or someone you love is a survivor of abuse, there are lots of resources available Mm -hmm. for you. There's the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-HOPE or 1-800-656-4673. There's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. They also have a text option. So if you want to text with someone, you can get support that way. And there's lots and lots of others. There's ones for teen dating violence. There's ones for LGBTQ Mm -hmm. survivors. And we will link to all of that in the show notes. But just know that help is available for you for free right now if you need it. 
All right. So let's talk about what we're reading and listening to. I have a feeling at least mine is a bit different from our topic of the day. <laughs> mine is too. Okay. Um, Take a deep breath. Ah, that was intense. Okay. Yeah. All so right. um, what have you been listening I to? I have been listening to, did you know that The Longest Shortest Time is wrapping up their final season at the no. end of this year and they're not coming back? No, yeah. I didn't know that. I, I quit listening when Hillary Frank um, stepped away, but um, I loved that podcast when Sam was a baby. Yes, I have really gotten so much from this podcast even before we used to talk about it before I was pregnant like it it Mm -hmm. has been a source of information and support and just fun and uh, camaraderie I guess like the stories are so good and relatable they talk about pregnancy childbirth parenting Mm -hmm. families adoption working motherhood and so I've been catching up on the last few episodes there's a, a few more through the end of the year but if you've never listened to the longest shortest time before a great place to start one of my favorite episode series that they did was called It's a Real Mother. And it was about being a working parent mm-hmm. and how that looks in the United States versus other countries and kind of made the case for parental leave. And and that was just a, a really good, informative series. There's also some great episodes and series. There's one that features the accidental gay parents. I loved that one. They're so great. And the the first episode they did with them um, was so popular that they bring them back now from time to time to like check in and they're just such a cool couple and then one recent episode that i was dying it's called when youtube is your birth coach oh my gosh i need to know what that means (laughs) okay so just the gist is the it's a story of a woman who just had a really busy life and didn't realize she was pregnant and (laughs) then by the time she realized she was pregnant it was kind of too late to really like prepare (laughs) and she was kind of she was kind of in denial about it so she didn't she just like went on a a trip that she had planned to take where I think she was meeting some friends in Germany or something and there was a layover in I forget which country but maybe like Turkey so she goes into labor on the plane and instead of instead of saying anything to anybody (laughs) She just continues her labor until she gets to her destination and then watches a YouTube video in the hotel room where she is to teach herself how to how to deliver her baby herself. And she fully does it, has a healthy baby and cleans up all the mess in the hotel and then goes downstairs with a baby. And she's like, so I had a baby last night. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this person is a superhero. Like, was, do not try this at home. <laughs> I didn't know what the episode was going to be about. Um, Cleaning up I'm, after birth by yourself in a hotel room is the most ridiculous part of that story to me. I know. She was on fire from adrenaline. Like, it was just... And she looks back now in telling the story. She's like, I was a huge idiot. I Now I realize, like, the risk I undertook. Like, what, what was I thinking? But at the time, you know, it's just what I was doing and... I I coped as best I could and I she hadn't even told her friends and family she was pregnant so she just like that's wild isn't it yeah so I gotta listen to this yes you have to the whole time I was like I was like screaming at my phone (laughs) like I wish I had people to listen to it with me because it was just so wild so this anyway. is why we have to create our own podcast because no one is ever going to feature us as guests on their podcast because you have to have a ridiculous story like that to be on Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really 
too. It was oh wild. My goodness so, gracious. That is wackadoodle. Are you, yeah, what are you reading or listening to? Yeah, I feel like my my reading choices choices are are too embarrassing to report on as of late. <laughs> so, might have been too heavy. I don't want to talk about them. Uh, I've just been reading random fiction that I can get on Prime reading because um, uh-huh. I fall asleep five minutes in. But I have finally started exploring fiction podcasts, which I very much resisted for years because I'm like, podcasts are for information. They're not for fun. <laughs> But now he's not like my husband. Oh, I know. I'm like, that's how my husband is too. So I'm like, let me listen to some of these really famous ones that have been made into TV series and things like that. So I listened to Homecoming, which was yeah, really good. That's a good one. Um, but now there's some that really use the headphones in these amazing ways to create a very immersive experience. Huh. And there's this one called Carrier about um, a truck driver who doesn't know what she's carrying in her trailer. Um, and there's some like sci-fi stuff. There's some religion stuff in there. There's family drama stuff. It's an amazing character and the sound effects are really, really good. Like I would do it when I was walking the dog and I couldn't tell what was actually happening in the world in which I was walking (laughs) versus in the podcast because it was so immersive. So like, don't drive and listen to it. (laughs) Um, so that was really good. And then the other one that I'm about halfway through is called Limetown. Mm-hmm. which is modeled after what you would expect from a show like Serial. So it's someone who's pretending to be an investigative journalist for a uh, public radio. And there's a town where all the people, like all 300 people just disappear without a trace. No, no blood, no hair, no bones. And she's got an uncle who is part of the community and she's trying to uncover what happened to the people. And she starts talking to survivors who were part of this experiment. So those are two really good if you just want like a distraction from the world in which we are living right now, which I find very appealing. Um, those are two really good, just immersive experiences that will keep you guessing at every turn. So Limetown and Carrier. I have kind of a funny story about Limetown. <laughs> did you it listen took- to it? I did. And so did my husband. <laughs> And it took him about four episodes to realize it was fiction. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I could see I could see that. Yeah. Do you know that Facebook Watch is making it a new a, a series? I did not know that. But it's I out now. I'm going to check that out. Jessica that's, Biel really cool. plays the main oh. character. Yeah, yeah, I love it that he that didn't out. know. Was he mad that it was fiction? Kind of. More he was mad that I was like, this isn't real, Pat. And he's like, yes, this is. And I'm like, this is this is not real. We would have heard of this. If a town of 300 people disappeared without a trace, it would have made national headlines. This is not... Like, is this so is not funny. real. This is fiction. And he's like, no, this is real. And it, it took us a few hours on a car trip to finally... <laughs> like, I was like, Pat... This is, and he finally realized and admitted, like, as the story gets more and more weird and yeah. sensational, he's like, okay, this isn't real. <laughs> but they do a really good job in it of creating mm-hmm. things that make you think it's real, like the yes. little snippets from this was a 911 call or whatever. So I'm yeah, like I said, I'm kind of late to the game. So some of these have been out for years, but Carrier, I think, is brand new. So that might be one people haven't listened to yet. I'm going to check that one out for sure. Yeah, that sounds good. really cool. So, Katie, you are up for our kindred of the moment. Yes. And I feel like as of late, we've kind of been turning back to people that we have either brought on the show before or have talked yes. about before, which I kind of mm-hmm. love that. Me so too. for this topic, I wanted to talk about the amazing, another amazing Ashley, Ashley Easter, 
who was our guest on episode 15 while you were on maternity leave, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about leaving fundamentalism and ending abuse in the church. And she is one of the founders of the Courage Conference, which is now in its fourth year, which is amazing. Um, So the Courage Conference is a refuge for survivors. It's a place to educate and empower advocates. And they say a catalyst to spark the conditions where this movement for change can become a justice generation that resists abuse everywhere. And in addition to creating this conference, which is a ton of work, she's also been taking on the Southern Baptist Church, um, like Mm. the denomination, Mm. with a group of advocates at a rally they call for such a time as this that calls out the ways that the Southern Baptist Church has been (gasps) complicit in abuse within its congregations. Get Um, it! And I'm forgetting exactly. So her husband, Will, is like all down with this. And he created – there's a verse in the Bible about like – throwing throwing yourself into the sea with like something around heavy around your neck. I'm forgetting exactly what it is if you cause one of the little ones to stumble, right? And so he created like a visual of that thing for her to take to the to the rally wow. and be on TV. So they're a great couple, like really model what it looks like for partners to support each other's callings. But I just wanted to lift up Ashley as someone who has really lived into the phrase the turning pain to power. As someone who is a survivor of abuse herself, she has really been able to like turn that into a mission to help other people who are escaping abusive situations, whether that's in their family or their church or elsewhere. And I just think she is so awesome. So we want to lift up Ashley Easter and the Courage Conference that is happening in October. That's awesome. I have a little update. Yeah. From our Kindred of the Moment on our last episode, Mickey Scott Bay Jones and the Yay. Movement Chaplaincy. I talked She's to talking her this to morning. Oh, so, fangirling hard over here. I know. She <laughs> I love said her. They had a hundred folks enroll in the Movement Chaplaincy, the first um, awesome. iteration of it that is out now. And That's said, so good. Did I you know, sign up? Amazing. I did not sign up I for didn't this either. one. I'm going to hold wait. out for the next one. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I feel too. I think they're a little overwhelmed. I think it's a lot bigger turnout than they could have ever expected. That's so um, good. But they're also really thrilled. So um, if you, I mean, I would love to know if you heard about them from our podcast and signed up. Like, I would love to hear from you. Let us know. Um, Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be really amazing. So that is it for today. On our next episode, we will be focusing on gratitude. A little November. Gratitude. Yes. (laughs) Attitude of gratitude for our November Thanksgiving um, time of year. So, all right, Katie, I will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 